Please bow with me in prayer. Lord, take my lips and speak through them. Take our minds and think through them. Take our hearts and set them on fire with love for your Son, Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. Please be seated. For those of you that have been here the last two Sundays, I haven't been. But it's a blessing to be back with you, and uh, let me tell you where I have been. The last two Sundays, actually, Meredith and I were traveling on those two Sundays. Two Sundays ago, uh, we were traveling from Falls Church, Virginia, to Pittsburgh, uh, following church. We worshipped with John Yates. For those of you that know John and Susan Yates, we saw them in Falls Church. And then uh, last Sunday, which is Mother's Day, belated uh, mother, happy Mother's Day for those of you that are mothers amongst us, uh, we were actually traveling from Fort Bragg, where we had brunch, uh, went to church and had brunch with Daniel and Natalie, our son Daniel and his wife, and then came back to Hilton Head and had dinner with our son Aaron and his girlfriend. So it was a wonderful Mother's Day for Meredith and birthday for me. But in nine or ten days, Meredith and I traveled over 1,900 miles. And Meredith commented as we were driving back to Hilton Head, she said, it's amazing how you plan the travel because we left here on a Friday, came back on a Sunday, and in those 1,900 miles we saw all my siblings, one of her siblings, actually during Heritage, between Heritage and this trip, we saw all of our siblings, our children and spouses, in that three or four week period of time. So it was really great. We got to see all of our family. And it was wonderful to kind of catch up and see everybody. And we had some wonderful time. But fascinating, while we were gone, uh, a couple things had happened. On Tuesday, May 3rd, we had four meals in four different restaurants. Not three, four. Trying to see everybody and trying to catch up with various people. We had breakfast with John and Kathy Guest. Some of you know John Guest. And that was wonderful. And then we had lunch with Meredith's sister. And then we had an early dinner with my uh, handicapped sister. And then we had a late dinner with uh, my cousin and her husband. And uh, seven or eight hours total in restaurants on Tuesday, May 3rd. Wednesday, May 4th. We get a call from our credit card company, the fraud department. <laughs> I'm not kidding. And, and the question basically was, yesterday, did you eat at this restaurant and this restaurant and this restaurant? <laughs> and I'm not sure if it was so out of character because we were eating in all these different restaurants in one day or because I was buying which is kind of insulting. But it was kind of funny because it was so unusual. But, I mean, that just tells you, in fact, we we recounted the number of meals that we actually ate in someone's home over the course of our travels. Two meals. All the rest of our meals were eaten out in restaurants. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. But we had a great time in travel. 
And if you were to look from our credit card's perspective, okay, our travel was random. Because it was out of character for us. They just didn't see this coming. It was unusual. Well, you know, if you were to look at the early church, and you were to look at what they perceived first Jesus' movement to be, and then the movement of the Holy Spirit, they would say that it didn't make sense to them, that it was random. Take, for example, when Jesus had the dialogue with Nicodemus. He talked to Nicodemus about being born again or born anew or born from above, born of the Spirit. He said, you must be born of water and the Spirit. And in talking about being born of the Spirit, Jesus says the Spirit moves where He will. And you do not know. As a new believer, you can't always figure out the movement of the Holy Spirit. But think about the apostles with Jesus. Jesus was, from their perception, a wild card. They never knew what he was going to do, how he was going to act. Think about when Jesus, for example, cleared the temple. They never saw that coming. When Jesus fed the 5,000, when Jesus calmed the storm, over and over again, Jesus would do things that they never had any idea he would do anything like that. And it would come out of the blue as far as they were concerned. They couldn't quite figure Jesus out in his movements and his action and what he would do. And then Jesus would go on to talk about the ministry and the person of the Holy Spirit. Who the Holy Spirit is. And in particular, when he'd talk about in length the Holy Spirit, John 13 through 17, in the upper room right before he died. And he would say of the Holy Spirit that this is someone just like me. That you have me in the flesh, and when I die and rise again and then go to my Father, you're going to have someone just like me in the Spirit. He's going to guide you into all truth. He's going to walk with you if you invite Him to be alongside you. And He's going to be present by a spiritual presence. But early on, much like Jesus, they would not be quite able to figure out why He does what He does and when He does. But over time, as you walk by the Spirit, as you walk with, with the Spirit, as you come to know Jesus, you know more and more who Jesus is and what Jesus is like and what it means to walk by the Spirit. And you come to know His will and His way. You come to understand what the fruit of the Spirit is about, what the fruit of the Spirit is like. And you begin to bear that fruit in your life. That's what God's design is. That's what any relationship is like. Friendships. Marriage. Early on, we don't know what our spouse is like. We find surprises. Surprises. 
Later on, there's less surprises, we hope. (laughs) And usually that's true. But as you walk with the Spirit and keep in step with the Spirit, you learn more and more how the Holy Spirit operates. And that's what we see. If you were to read the Acts of the Apostles, that's what you would see. But Jesus teaches about the Holy Spirit in this upper room passage, John 13 through 17. And then we come to this passage in John chapter 20, where Jesus comes back to the upper room again. And he finds the apostles there. And what does he do? He tries to instill in them a confidence. And he tries to bring them peace. Because they're in the upper room. Why? Why are they in the upper room this time? They're locked in the upper room because of fear. And Jesus comes to the upper room. Having risen. And he shows them the nail prints in his hands. And he shows them the nail prints in his feet. And he says, I told you I was going to suffer. I was going to die. I needed to die for your sin. And I needed to show you that I have power over sin and power over death. So I've risen again and I need you to understand you can trust me. But see, they're locked in the upper room because of fear. We have many fears in our lives. If you really were to take a step back and look in your lives, look at your lives, how many lives are filled with fear? We have threats. We have concerns. Concerns about the present. Concerns about the future. We have some perceived fears. They may or may not be real. We have imaginary fears that probably will never come true and never darken our doorstep. We have some reason to fear. And you know, there's a lot of people on the other side in denial or in apathy. And some people are dealing with fear by medication. They medicate through drugs or alcohol or pornography or sex or escape or entertainment. Or they're always trying to stay busy and dodge fear. And Jesus came to conquer fear. He came to that upper room where they were locked up Because of fear. And he says, I am the risen Lord. And you can trust the fact that I defeated the power of sin and the power of death. You can trust me when I say something and I make promises. You can trust that I'm the risen Lord. And you can trust me when I say, I will send you the Holy Spirit to be with you when I ascend to my Father. 
and he will be with you always. And then he says, peace be with you. I want your fear to be replaced by peace. And if you know the fruit of the Spirit, the first fruit is love. That Jesus wanted them to know how much he loved them. And then the second fruit is joy. And how often people don't live with joy. And the third fruit is peace. The peace that passes understanding. The peace that overtakes the fear in our lives. If we really understand what God is after. That when we have no fear of what can happen to us in this life, when we have no fear of eternity because we know He's dealt with our sin and we know we'll live forever with Him and we know we can trust Him because He died in our place and He's risen, then we can have peace. If you hear me say one thing today on this Pentecost, hear me say, don't walk out of here and if someone says to you, are you going to heaven, you say, I hope so. If you know Jesus Christ as your Savior and your Lord, and you have the Holy Spirit, you say, yes, because of Jesus Christ. Because that's what he promises. And that's why he came to the upper room. And that's why he showed the nails, the nail prints in his hands and his feet. And that's why he said, peace be with you. And then what does he say next, by the way? As the Father has sent me, so I send you. You know, when he came to them and revealed himself to them, and he said, peace be with you. He doesn't then say, okay, you know what? Now you can stay in this upper room, stay locked up in here, and I'm going now. He doesn't say that. He says, as the Father sent me, so I send you. Why is it we think that when Jesus brings us salvation, that it then becomes all about us, and we can just stay locked up in our cozy little Christian ghetto and just have our own privatized faith and not do anything? Why is that? That is not why he came. So that you can feel good about your own personal salvation and not do anything. If we are truly going to be Christ-like, which is what the word Christian means... It means that we become like Him. And what does it mean to become like Him? It means that we go out into the world. As the Father has sent me, so I send you. The only way the world's going to know about Jesus Christ is if we are out there being His servant. We're out there being His body. Sent into the world. To bring his love and his gospel and his grace to a hurting world who, oh, by the way, is living in the same fear that we hopefully only used to live in.
That's why Jesus came. He sends us. That's why I came into the world. Not so we can just keep this faith to ourselves. We have a world out there that is in desperate need of change. It's broken. Just watch the news. Just watch TV. Just watch people around you and their lives. The world needs the gospel. And that's why we're the ones sent now. We are his body on earth. That's why Jesus sends the Holy Spirit to empower us to go out into the world. So we are now the sent ones. And that's why we're called to be Christ-like. Not to be nice and not to hide in the upper room again. But to go out. Then Jesus breathes on them and says, receive the Holy Spirit. This is the down payment of what would happen on Pentecost. That they would be filled with the Holy Spirit. Let's jump to 1 Corinthians chapter 12 for a minute. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, what happens when they're filled with the Holy Spirit? Everyone is empowered. Everyone is given a gift. What happened on that first Pentecost? 120 disciples, not just the 11 apostles that are left, 120 disciples were filled with the Holy Spirit. They went out and shared the giftedness that the Holy Spirit had given to them. And what happened on that day? Thousands of people were converted. Why? Because the body of Christ was working together. It was about Peter's sermon and the body of Christ working together to reach out to other people. We all have gifts of the Spirit. None of us have all the gifts. None of us. That's why the the Lord has given us a body and given the gifts to all of God's people. You can just ask my staff, does Greg have all the gifts? They will tell you definitively and emphatically, no. Trust me. Just ask my family. They would say the same thing. That's why we're a body. That's why we need each other. And that's what we see in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. We see it in Romans 12. We see it in Ephesians 4. The gifts have been given to the body of Christ for us to use together, to serve together. And the Holy Spirit is the one that empowers us. If you are a believer in Jesus Christ, that means you are saying that you know Jesus as your Savior and Lord, that you have repented. You are saying thereby that you have the Holy Spirit. If you have the Holy Spirit, you have a gift. If you have a gift, it's for the common good. It's not for you to keep for yourself. It goes back to this being locked up in the upper room again. We're not supposed to be locked up in the upper room. We're supposed to be out there sent. We're supposed to be out there sharing our gift because it's for the common good, not just for you. There's three E words that if you were to take the gospel reading and this reading from 1 Corinthians, 
and really the Acts of the Apostles, the early church, that I hear in my mind over and over again when it comes to the ministry of the Holy Spirit. The first is edify. You know what the word edify means? It means build up. We are to build up the body of Christ. That is, we are here for each other, for the common good. We worship together. We, we study together. We pray together. That's what small groups are about. That's what adult classes are about. That's what children's ministry is about. That's what youth groups are about. We have our youth ministry away right now on retreat. They're building each other up. That's what the body of Christ is meant to do. Edify the common good so that we can spread it out into the world. The second is encourage. That's kind of an obvious one. Where we build each other's courage up so that we're not fearful. We're not locked in the upper room. That we have that peace. We have that joy. We share that love with each other. Encourage. I love the last word too that I'm about to tell you. It's exhort. You know what exhort means? It means we challenge each other. And the early church did that. Let me read to you a passage that really emphasizes this point. This comes from the book of Hebrews, chapter 10. And let us consider how to provoke one another to love and good deeds. Don't you like that word provoke? I like that word. That's what I'm doing to some of you right now. I know I am. Provoke one another to love and good deeds. We refer to each other, you know this, as brothers and sisters in Christ, right? You know that? How many in here have siblings? Lots of you. Do you know what it means to provoke your brother or your sister? Right? I was just with my siblings. I still know what it means to provoke my brother and my sister. That means you nudge them. You challenge them. You get under their skin a little bit. That's not a bad thing. Why is it we think in the church that's a bad thing when we're really supposed to get each other going so that we really learn what it means to love each other? So that we really get each other going, so we serve and we minister and we care. If everybody's being so nice, and we stay locked in our fear and locked in that upper room, and we're not de dealing with real life, what are we doing? If we're not really going out into the world to change the world, what are we doing? Because that's the church, being the church. That's what God wants. That we exhort. Let me continue reading this passage. To provoke one another to love and good deeds. Love and good deeds. Not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some. You catch that? Some people just don't worship anymore. Some people don't meet in small groups. They don't go to Bible study, pray. Been there, done that, don't need that, don't want to do that. Why? They'd rather have it easy. Be complacent, not grow, not be stretched. All about comfort, security. Guess what? Locked in the upper room again. They miss it. They misunderstand what Christ is about. But, encourage, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. The day approaching. You know what that means? Judgment. Because that's coming where we will be held accountable.
And you can say that that's either when Jesus comes again or when you die, because it's going to be one or the other. I want you to imagine being in the upper room. Not once, but twice. Just for a moment. I want you to imagine being in the upper room when Jesus shows up. And he comes in and he has the nail marks in his hands and the nail print in his feet. And you know, you know he's the risen Savior and Lord. You know. Is your life going to stay the same? Can your life really stay the same after you've seen those nail marks, after you've seen him risen? How can your life stay the same? Imagine you're in the upper room with 119 others and the wind of the Holy Spirit blows through that upper room and you're filled with his power how can you stay in that upper room because you're changed see that's the church that's the church that's a Pentecost church and we are meant to be a Pentecost church. We are meant to be that kind of church. The last thing Jesus says is all about forgiveness of sin. See, if you've never repented, if you've never really understood that you need a Savior and a Lord, then you've never even come to that first step of understanding who Jesus is and why Jesus came. But if you have, you're saying you know him as that risen Lord with those nail prints. And if you've said that, then you're saying, I know there's a Holy Spirit. Which means you know this upper room experience not once but twice. So we are saying we are that church, that Pentecost church. And the question is, are we going to be that church? Please bow with me in prayer. Lord, we are gathered here today as your church. Not because we're perfect. We're all sinners. But some want to stay locked in that upper room. Maybe because of fear. Maybe because of complacency. 
Maybe because they've just never understood what your heart is really all about for the church. Lord, we pray that you would fill us anew with your Holy Spirit, that we might be that church, confident in the risen Lord Jesus, filled with the Holy Spirit, filled with that love and joy and peace and power, knowing his forgiveness and grace, knowing that we are his community, and knowing that we are sent not to stay locked in fear, but free to serve. Lord, help us to be your body on earth. Help us to learn what it means to love one another as you have loved us, and help us to be change agents in the world around us that's so broken that we might be a Pentecost church. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.